Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Stelvio Chronicles. Not just because I'm here, Sean Smith, but also because all my lovely guests are here and Sam. So, we, we've actually got the, we've got the most packed Stelvio Chronicles episode ever. Because we got Sam Green, of course. Of course. Alistair Walker from the West Country. Hello all. Cree from back, from back from Japan. Hello. And... Who's this? This uh, this weird foreigner from from the islands far away. It's it's it's, Mon it's Montosaurus back from the sea. Well, hello there, everyone. Thank you very much for having me on your show once again. And may I say, what an honour it is for you to have me here. Yes. Capture it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've got we're we're all here gathered at the end of 2010s to decide what are the cars of the decade. Not just the road cars of the decade, but race cars too, because, you know, time and miles get done in one go. Right then. We have, we have because another, race car. Because race car. Which backwards Sam is? Because race car. Yeah. Well, race car. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got road cars, we've got race cars. We're going to go through them one by one. There, there isn't a contest as such, but people just need to explain why they think this car is the car of the decade. So uh, let's let's crack on, Monty. As our esteemed guest with longest break, you get to go first. So no pressure. Ah, oh, you're so kind. Okay, thank you. Uh, so my nomination for car of the decade. Road it's car. Road car. Sorry, thank you. Road car of the decade. I have decided to go for the Ford Fiesta with the EcoBoost engine. Now this may sound a bit weird because it's just a hatchback at the end of the day with a one litre engine in it. But um, I've kind of picked it for a few reasons, really. Uh, the main one is it's kind of set the trend as to where cars are going in the foreseeable future. Now, I know there's a lot of big talk about uh, electric cars, uh, zero emissions, and you know people are focusing on uh, trying to, you know, the ultimate goal is electric cars. But... Um, with the exception, of course, with maybe the expensive stuff uh, supplied by Tesla, it's not really a feasible option yet for um, the public. What Ford had uh, come up with is an engine which not only complies with Euro 6's uh, vision of um, having a combustion engine with uh, low emissions, it kind of proved a lot of doubters wrong, because on paper... Think about it, guys. Ten years ago, if you uh, heard someone say that they uh, were driving around with a car with a, a 999cc engine, forgive me if I'm wrong here, if I heard someone talking in cc's and it's only a three-digit uh, value, I would think of something like, um, I don't know, the Chevrolet Matiz or yes. a Daihatsu or Skoda Shitigo or something like that. Do you agree? I probably, would, I probably would have laughed at them and then walked away. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask you a question, Monty? Sure, sure. You're saying that your car of the decade isn't actually a car; it's the engine. Ah, uh, no, it is. Hang on, let, let let me finish. It is specifically with the Fiesta as well, uh, rather than just with the, the engine. But uh, I, I I use it with the Fiesta as the example because it was the first car to kind of introduce this engine. It was the first car to kind of prove doubters wrong because all of a sudden here came this popular hatchback which uh, you know, most people prior to then thought that the 1.25-litre engine was uh, barely enough power. And then Ford go, OK, we're now going to introduce a 1-litre version instead. Biggest difference? They turbocharged it. So here you are, you've got a 1-litre engine with uh, 100 horsepower in it instead of the 69 horsepower, which the 1.25 uh, variant of the previous uh, model had. And uh, what you ended up with was a very popular hatchback, which uh, was bigger than the previous hatchbacks, could do essentially more on a practical scale uh, compared to its uh, predecessors. You could fit a family in there. It's, um, and then also it was now coupled with this engine, which not only had more power, but because it was a smaller engine, produced less emissions. So to begin with, was tax-free. Uh, you know, it gave new incentives on things like uh, a reduction in parking, and, uh, of course, from your fuel bill as well, all of a sudden it was entirely feasible to uh, get 500 miles out of a 40-litre tank, which was, what, five, 600 miles. You know, that's almost unheard of. You could do a drive from uh, Glasgow 
down to Basingstoke on the, the one tank of petrol in the Ford Fiesta. And uh, I think as a combination, the whole package kind of reset the standards for the rest of the decade because this was 2012. And from then on, this type of technology uh, got rolled into other cars. And the concept worked so well that it wasn't just hatchbacks as well. I mean, you've now got like Audi A4s and Skoda Octavias with these uh, small one-liter turbocharged engines. Uh, the Renault Cadger as well. The um, EcoBoost Mustang. The EcoBoost Mustang as well. Uh, okay, fair enough. So part of my <laughs> argument, yes, you are right, Cree. It is about um, the engine itself, but it kind of got introduced in the Fiesta. I think at the time it was very hit or miss. It's at the time. Yeah, I suppose it's the sum of its parts is greater than it as a whole. So you yeah. take the engine, you take the item of the suspension geometry of the Fiesta, you take the way that the Fiesta spaces, the practicality of the vehicle, you put it all together, and it becomes so much better than every other hatchback of its class at the time. Exactly. All the other manufacturers have gone, shit, for the next 10 years, this is the pinnacle of hatchback. So we yeah, have I agree with that. Yeah, the, Fiesta, the Fiesta's always been a good car, and then it had a really good engine to go with it. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, five years down the line, it's now the Golf, because Volkswagen have just nailed their hatchback. It would have been a little bit boring, but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, man. It started that revolution of hatchback. Absolutely. Completely agree. Exactly. And whilst we wait for the electric cars to become an affordable package, uh, I think it was a fantastic uh, solution introduced by Ford. Uh, to ensure that the public users weren't going to get caned by tax for, you know, high emissions, high fuel consumption, especially as what petrol prices are at the highest again just now. And, um, yeah, you, you look at almost every other car on the road now, be it a hatchback, be it a saloon, be it a SUV. They're all kind of following this uh, standard which Ford Fiesta began. And that is your five minutes. Monty, have you ever considered being Electra? Being Electra? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, I do like the sound of my own voice, why not? My mother always told me I had the face for being a, ra uh, a radio DJ as well, so... Uh... <laughs> Very good. So yeah, that's the that's the Ford, Ford Fiesta EcoBoost. Congratulations for the first prize of the Stoic Automotive car of the decade. <laughs> Thank you. Now, we're gonna, going on from the, the hatchbacks, which obviously dominated the early part of this decade, and you know, with, it, with the, uh, the start of it being in economic turmoil and fuel prices going through the roof, everyone moves to small cars. There was one car which stood out throughout the whole decade, and that is actually the choice that both me and Alistair Walker picked. Um, Al, would you like to crack on with the Toyota GT86? Are you still here? Yep. Good. Yeah, so <laughs> my choice specifically, I wouldn't just say the GT86, I'd say the whole ZN6 platform, so I'd include its cousins, the Subaru and the Scion, Absolutely although fine. the Scion doesn't exist anymore. Same car. And that's because in a decade where we've seen the choice of interesting cars, a lot of manufacturers now are starting to move more and more towards SUVs. You're starting to get cars filled more and more with gadgets, lane assists, things like that. It represented a back-to-basics car for driving enthusiasts, yep. more so than I think many other things on the market. Yes, you could argue the MX-5, but I think the GT86 brought in a different way of approaching that. Yeah, so I followed the GT86 from its concept stage back in 2009 when it was the FT86 um, and was immediately excited about this car which was going to cost between 20 and 25 grand. Um, two litre engine, there's going to be back to, you know, it's, it's going to be first Toyota's first sports car in about six years since they cancelled the Celica MR2 and Supra. So, moving over to the GT6 and that that promise of a sports car for drivers when any time when traction control and quite lazy handling was quite rife in, in the industry, or all cars just didn't have sports cars in their brands at all. Um, yeah, the GT6 was a nice light in the darkness, and it and it carried on being so through the rest of the decade and uh, when it launched in 2012. Yeah, and I think it's generally I've had the good fortune to actually get to drive one a couple of times they're really nice cars to drive and they remind me very much in its feel of my old toyota mr2 another quite driver focused sports car 
And I see a lot of complaints online, I think primarily from Americans, <laughs> of the car being underpowered, the tyres are too small, things like that. And I think a lot of these complaints are from people that don't necessarily realise where it was designed for. Yeah. No, this... It, Sorry, go, go you take it. it to a Japanese mountain road, a British B road, the Swiss Alps. That is where the car was designed for, and I think that's... It's a place where if you take one of these modern SUVs, you're just going to be driving down another road. Yeah. If you take a car like a GT86, it's going to become a special experience because that's what the car was designed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Because Toy Toyota made a very, a very um, conscious point of putting low grip tyres. I think they came from the Prius originally, um, just so they had that um, the back end was looser, so there was less grip. So you had more fun, more control in the corners in terms of being able to, you had to react to the car rather than the computer sorted out for you. Um, as you say, it was a sort of more back to basics approach. Yeah, and to be honest, adding to that, they've made the whole car such a nice experience. The driving position is really nice. Even to the way it sounds, yeah. I believe it's actually one of those cars that sounds a bit louder inside than it seems to outside. I'm not sure why. I don't think it's got um, can sound through speakers like some of the Audis. I don't know, probably not, but it's, it's, probably, it's just such a good car, it does it naturally, that's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, obviously it's, it was built in development with uh, Subaru, part of Toyota's sort of cost-saving measures that they've now introduced with the Supra, um, and is sort of a wider trend globally. Um, it has the Subaru's engine, the boxy unit, which is really good, you know, I, I can't fault Subaru for the engine. Um, I think the only faults there were with those was some of the early ones had a bit of a dip in the torque yes, curve. Yes, that is true. Um, but equally... I think they remapped them around 2017. So the one I've driven is one of the remap yeah. later cars. But either way, the fact is the car, no, nobody nobody was really complaining as much. Because when it, when its nearest drive was the MX-5, yeah, it, it was, and maybe the Audi TT possibly, it, it, it was just... Well, the thing with the Audi TT is it's always been... A golf in a dress. Yeah. <laughs> it's always been a hatchback made to look sporty. And the initial TTs, by all accounts, were a bit soft and floaty. I know they've made it better over the years, but the GT86 was actually designed as a sports car, at yeah, least. Absolutely. Um, I should say we did win Top Gear's uh, Car of the Year Award in 2012, beating a McLaren MP4 12C. The 911 Carrera S, I think, and also the Lotus Exige S. So cars which cost at least twice as much, um, and that and that's that's a major thing for the 86. The fact that it was it, it is an affordable dream, so to speak, which is what a sports car should be, in my opinion. So there. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. Good. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really nice car. It's a good car. I've sat in a few. I'm not driven one. Um, and they are very, very nice on the inside as well. Just the finish of everything, it feels like a much more expensive car than it necessarily is. Now, speaking of expensive cars, Sam, you're next. Now, th yes. this is going from a, a twenty twenty-five thousand pound little sports car and also a very cheap Fiesta hatchback. You know, cars of the people as they were. Sam's car of the year is um, a Porsche nine one eight Spider which in 2013 had a price above half a million pounds. So Sam, please do enlighten us of how this is the car of the decade. Yeah, I, look, I looked it up and you could actually buy nearly 25 Ford Fiestas for the price of <laughs> one Porsche. Um, but uh, well, the, the main reason, I'll be honest, is because, and I think we'll all agree, realistically, as car fans, we like supercars, we like hypercars, but they're not very realistic. They're not particularly applicable. They're kind of their own thing. Um, now, the Porsche, as Sean was kind of alluding to, is an 875-horsepower plug-in hybrid, um, which is where it differs to some of its sort of predecessors in sort of that hypercar. And I'm going to refer to it as a hypercar uh, sort of category. You think about the, the Zonda, it's like a seven-liter V12, yeah, which is all very well, 
But this is a 4.6 litre V8. It's still quite a big engine, to be honest. Um, but it's also got the hybrid technology, which I think is what sets, sort of sets it apart from the other cars that it followed in that hypercar kind of sort of space in the market. Um, now, of course, this was um, what was known as the Holy Trinity mm -hmm. of um, modern supercar hypercars, along with the Ferrari, the Ferrari, and the McLaren P1. So, yeah, I'm just going on that. Why a Porsche? Why would you not take the Ferrari? Because they're the, yeah, slightly different, but they're the same vehicle. And the same with the P1. Why would you go for the Porsche? What was it about that Porsche that beat the other two to be your car of the decade? I just think the Porsche did it all just that little bit better. It's not necessarily, the, it's not the quickest of the three. I think that's the Ferrari, isn't it? Yeah. The P1, uh, Ferrari, whatever it is. The Ferrari, um, the Ferrari. It's, it's not the most expensive, which I think is the P1. It's the cheapest by a mile. Yeah. Um, however, I think it's, it's probably the one of those three that is the most likely to lead on to more hybrid sort of sports cars in that GT86 kind of range. Okay. I don't think the technology in the P1 and the LaFerrari, although it's great, isn't as refined or clever as it is in the Porsche. That's an interesting take of it, actually. So I, I know the Porsche was... For pound for pound, it's better than the Ferrari, the Ferrari, and the McLaren because yeah. it's nearly as quick, but it costs you know hundreds of thousands of pounds less. Um, which is, but yeah, then again, it is less powerful, it's slower, but it, yeah, I think it does definitely have the technology on its side compared to the other yeah. two, which, which is a fair point. I mean, we say it's slower, it'll still do 214 mile an hour, and the 0 to 120 mile an hour is 7.2 seconds. That is true, and uh, have you got the stat about the Nürburgring, Sam? Uh, I didn't because I thought I would do race cars after this, so no, I didn't bother looking at the time. Because I've got it right here. It was the first production car to go below seven minutes around the North there you Shore go. So that... And that is pretty impressive as well. Um, that shows actually they've sorted out the chassis as well. This yeah. isn't just a clever, fast car in a straight line. It goes around corners pretty well as well. Um, they've stopped making it now. They only made it for for two years, from 2013 to 2015. Um, With nine, and, 918 units. Yep, so less than a 1,000 of them. Potentially, partly because of the price. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's a, just a different... It, if supercars and hypercars hadn't had a car like the Porsche 918, they would be extinct fairly soon. That's a fair. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's a that's a fair assessment. Of course, and it, I think it as a car, I always think I always think there'll be a market for a supercar. Yeah, but obviously, obviously wanted to go hybridised. I think there'll always be a market for it. But uh, yeah, but this is what I mean. This was kind of the first of those hybrids where actually mm. it's more future ready, if that makes sense. I hate that phrase, future ready. <laughs> but, it, but it kind of that's that's what I mean. It's because it's hybrid. It's kind of opened that door. Is it trend setting? Well, shut up, Sean. Is it or not? I wouldn't go that far, but it's. I think it's poor, people like Porsche that obviously go right the way from the Cayman right up to the 918. I think we'd be more likely now to see something like a Cayman hybrid, which is obviously going to be a bit more expensive than a GT86, but it's kind of in that smaller sports car kind of category, maybe at the top end of it. I think we're more likely to see a hybrid one of them than we are sort of anything else now because of the 918. Okay, that's fair enough. That'd Could be... I add one last point in there just to back up what Sam's saying? Very, very quickly, yeah. It would also be very nice to see the Porsche uh, 918 Spider and other examples like that kind of prove to the public that the BMW i8 is not the vision of how a hypercar should be in the future. And that's why I do agree with that as well because I do not like the i8 at and that's, all. That's why it's not on this list. <laughs> no. <laughs> But one car, the last car for road cars, which is on this list, Chris. This is actually, this is a you've chosen two really really left field 
picks here. I'm, I'm genuinely interested. They're all left field at all. What are you on about? I, 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 I want to see what you're going to say here because I'm genuinely surprised. So yeah, the Jeremy Corbyn of Cars of the Decade. The, hey, no, hey, no, hey. no, no. <laughs> Anyway. Why do we have to bring in politics every time a northerner wants to speak? <laughs> right. Christopher Strickland, you have chosen the Tesla Model S. Good Discuss. Well, let's be honest. Yeah, the ice is dying. You know, it's melting. <laughs> it's melting. It's going away. It's going to be dead in the next 20 years. And this was the car that started it. This was the car that took electric power and pushed it to the forefront of modern technology, that took everything we know about battery technology, everything we know about electric motors, everything we knew about electric vehicles, and it went, here, this is what we can achieve. And so far in this decade, it has yet to be beaten. Now, which other vehicle can you tell me that hasn't, that's had a lifespan that the Model S has had that has yet to be beaten by anything else in its same category? Toyota Prius. No. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from, Chris, but I do think that, although they're very good, they're very quick, which is nice, um... Because I kind of... Well, so I'm not, I'm not talking about cars, it's quick. Well. Yeah, it's got supercar performance in a, in a straight line. It handles reasonably well. The interior is not too bad to look at. It's not a bad place to sit. The roadworthiness is fine. It's a lovely place it's the fact it's usable. It's, it's the fact that you, if you need to get somewhere, you, uh, you've got, still got some range anxiety because it'll only have a 300-mile range, blah, 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 blah. That's not bad but at all. It is still a usable car, and it's still something that the modern... Granted, it's got an £80,000 price tag on it, but it's still something that's achievable. It's not like a ridiculous vehicle that costs quarter of a million pounds that will only just do 200 miles on an electric range. This thing is real, it's there, it's in person, and it will do everything you need it to do. And yeah. zero emissions. The Model I, S, I, I, I'd like, I've grown on it. I thought it looked like a fish when it first came out. I've said this before, Elon Musk, if you want to sue me, please don't. But Is that before or after the first lift? Uh, before the first the first version i thought it looked a bit like a fish yeah. the the current one's really nice and it's when I'm, me and sam sat in one back in university that i was like i get it I, I get this car i understand why people like it it's 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 a huge step up for the ev image as it were yeah this is what i think it actually because it doesn't look like a rocket ship i think it looks more like a normal car if that makes sense, like it looks if if you didn't know it was a Tesla and it wasn't making any noise, it doesn't look that dissimilar to a Honda Accord or a Mondeo or a three series BM. It just looks like a saloon car. And before that, electric cars were always a bit kind of wacky and look at me, I'm an electric car. And that I didn't like. Whereas the Tesla, it does look really good. Not quite so sure on the fit and finish. Some of the panel gaps are a bit odd sometimes. Um, yeah, well, that's with any. Well, you've got to remember, Tesla only started making vehicles ten years ago, twenty years ago, something yeah, like that. Ten. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, and the you have to understand that everybody has to take little baby steps. And then, I mean, as I suppose, if you look at, well, let's not take the Model Three, but you take the Model X. I suspect you'll find that is a reasonably well-built vehicle. I, well, I don't doubt it's well built, but the one, all of the Model X's that I've seen have got different panel gaps. Really? <laughs> well, you can't. Yeah, every one, I've, every single one I've seen, and I make a point of having you look at them now. You can't with, with your little vernier um, and sort of check the gaps, do you, Sam? Well, I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but every time <laughs> I see one parked in the car park at work, which happens a surprising amount for a go-kart track, um, <laughs> I always have a look and think, well, yeah, that boot's not on straight, or that rear door's, the, the gap at the front is different to the gap at the back. Um, little bits like that. There could be manufacturing errors, possibly, but every single one I've seen at the Model X. Let's not criticize. No this, this is a, a car which is one of our cars of the decade. And I can I can completely understand why, Chris. So the the fact that it's this 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 shocked me. The fact that it's the second most sold EV ever behind the Leaf. I, I, that amazes me. You know, all the Renaults, all the you know little electric cars that come before it. This is this beats in all of those apart from the Nissan Leaf. Is that 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 is amazing? That shows that shows that it's pushed forward and it's 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 
brought it more to the market than other cars. If I may, I do think that's... Go on, no, go on. Yeah, I think a large part of how it got its success was it appealed to the business lease car community. Yeah. Yep. It That's appeals about to people that had been rolling around in 5 Series and Mercs and things like that. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. That's what I was going to say. It's kind of aspirational, but not unachievable. Sure. Chris, any final word? I don't know. I've not been so much. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've been doing my job for me, thanks, Sam. Um, but no, you know, you're, it's the fact that you can... If somebody t- in 20 years or so years' time, and everyone's talking about how the next electric BMW is going to come out. You look back and you say, what was the first car that was made? The Model T Ford. That, that made the car big. Yeah. You'd be looking back in 50 years' time and be like, what was the first electric car? And you'd be like, it was the Model S. Yeah. Yep. And it's that's that sort of point in time where you can all go back and say, this is where the car shed its emissions. It's a reference. Nasty stuff. And then became the thing it is... No, and, you know, it's set the standard for every other manufacturer to push their electric cars forward. You look at the Mercedes are doing it now, BMW will probably do it at some point. Volvo dedicated to being an electric hybrid manufactured from 2025, I think it was. And it just proved to large manufacturers that, yes, you can make an electric car. Yes, you can make it affordable, cheap, in relative terms. Um, and have the range that everyone desires. That's a fair point. Yeah, so, I would agree with you there. Cool. Now we're done with road cars. Congratulations to all our wor- worthy winners. Um, now we get to the fun stuff. The racetrack, the race cars of the decade. Now, one thing that's interesting here, Sam mentioned it, no Formula One cars made it to this list. <coughs> so um, be prepared, people. This is, this is going to be a nice little fast and furious, fun, awesome thing. Monty. Hello. You're first. Again. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> okay, no. so my uh, nomination here is for the Audi R18 e-tron Quattro. Now, you may feel there's a bit of a theme going on here, because uh, some of my points are similar to what I raised with the, the Fiesta. But um, I, uh, just before I answer that one, I think part of the reason why, in my opinion, why there's no F1 cars in here is... This decade, you haven't really seen perhaps a technical marvel which you would say is relevant. You know, in years gone by, F1 has always been, um, obviously from a, an entertainment point of view, it's been a sport where uh, there's apparently been great racing and lots of gladiators and blah, 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 blah. But the technology that was involved in everything was also very relevant to what happened with the manufacturers. Um, this decade has kind of seen a lot of you say technical marvel but perhaps not relative to what manufacturers could get out of it arguably maybe why we don't see that much uh, manufacturer support uh, in the sport this uh, decade uh, that's actually one of the reasons why i uh, have proposed the audi r18 is because in le mans it's still very well at the beginning of the decade anyway it was very much manufacturer based um, the technology that they were implementing and encouraging teams to use there was supposed to be relevant to help roll out into production cars as well and ultimately uh, help benefit the consumer. And the Audi R18, forgive me if I'm wrong here, it was probably one of the first hybrid uh, prototypes. It was the first that... diesel hybrid. It and... was, wasn't it? Yes. Thank you. It was the first that one. I think Panos had had a hybrid. I don't know if it ran under GTP or GT1 rules in the late 90s. But... Mm. That, that, that was the one I was thinking of. It was a bit of a, a loophole with the, the panels there. But, yeah, definitely the Audi was the first one to, as we would describe hybrids, uh, launch it into prototypes. And yeah, and it, it was definitely uh, the first to be successful as well. Yeah, it obliterated the class for the first couple of years. And it took, what, for Porsche to come in and actually show them how to improve on it. That, that, that was, like, the only manufacturer that could at all rival Audi, really. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, okay, there was a bit of heartbreak for Toyota in one of the years as well, but, you know, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. There's there's no there's no doubt at all. When the e-tron Quattro came along, replacing the R18, it was mm. a big step up. I mean, I, I, I thought Toyota with the TSO30 would have... I, I was amazed they... Because they went for petrol instead of diesel, which at the time was still sort of the... Uh, Mad. Well, it was... It was 
unwise in most people's circles to choose that. <laughs> uh, this was obviously before Dieselgate. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, and the Audi R18, as much as I didn't want it to win, it still just, it did, Audi did everything right. They learned from the R8, the R10, the R15, the R15 Plus, and they put yes. everything into that car, and it was incredible. And it was almost like all of the technology that they had developed over the last 20 years uh, went into this like uh, mega prototype. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, the R15 was a technical marvel, and the R10, because they were what, diesel engines, weren't they? That was arguably one of the techni uh, technological marvels of the 2000s because you don't have diesels racing in a motorsport event and they proved that one wrong. Yeah. And not only did you have diesel for this decade, you had diesel with hybrid technology as well. Yeah. Hybrids? No, no electric motors there. They're not going to do anything. Yeah. Okay, well, that's fine. Let's turn it into a quattro, you know, play upon our marketing brand and uh, obliterate the competition and yeah. it just was essentially the to me anyway this car really was all the, those years of um development from audi was put into this one package here Completely. and it just looked perfect yeah. i'd go so far as to back you up and say at its time it was the perfect car for Le Mans. It, it really was, was. It, and built by the perfect team for it, it was almost impossible to beat that car. Yeah. The only, well, the only reason it did win is because the the FIA gave so many um, rules consensuses to Toyota and Porsche in the petrol division and sort of limited and limited the diesel capabilities through balance performance. Um, mm. That's the only reason now Audi lost. And even then, they they nearly bloody won it when 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 they had their their arms tied behind their backs. Yeah. I think they did. No, they did still win a WEC championship in in that year. The Porsche won Le Mans, I think. They, they, they did, yeah. Audi still won the, the championship overall, but it was kind of a turning table when Porsche won it that year. That was with a uh, Hulkenberg who won it, correct? He won in the Porsche, yeah. Yes. But yeah, it was yeah, it was a great car, and you know, it's a shame that that it wasn't allowed to carry on through the um, the Yost partnership or anything else after Audi's withdrawal. But you know, that's that's the history of Le Mans, sadly. <laughs> but um, yeah, the. the could, couldn't agree. It was, it's, it's, a, it's a great car. Thank That's, you. Um, who's next? I can't remember. Ah, stay, <laughs> we're staying within the Volkswagen Audi family. <laughs> so, um, who, who is this one? Is this... No, it's not Sam, is it? It is... No. That's me, I think. Will it not be, or is it... Yeah, it must be. It's Volkswagen Polo. Yeah. No, it's, that's it's Sam. Sam. It's Sam. That's me. So, uh, Samantha... This, this, is, this is another shocker. I didn't expect you to choose this car whatsoever. But um, Volkswagen Polo WRC. Start the clock. Go for it. Well, essentially, uh, the, it came in in 2013, uh, the Polo R WRC. Um, it was a 1600 turbo uh, with anti-lag, which makes everything better anyway. <laughs> um, and there's not a lot really to say about it, apart from the fact it did 52 rallies. It won 43 of them, and it didn't lose a single championship in the entire time it competed between 2013 and 2016. That is a very yeah. impeccable record. <laughs> Twelve titles. That is impressive. And it also kept to the Sebastian trait from continuing <laughs> to win another championship. It, it, yes. I mean, the, the era of Sebastian, obviously, arguably, possibly, helped it along a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, it, it was just, it looked really good. When I first saw it, I thought, actually, that looks proper. It had that kind of almost DTM-style aero on it um but with a rally tweak on it and it would just look really cool um i've always thought that there's one very similar that now races uh in the world rallycross championship um and that looks really good as well um but i just think when it was it was their first season and i think it was the third rally al might correct me third rally that they won um in sweden their first was their first rally win um, after not winning Monte Carlo, um, but that would have been their first event as a team. So arguably, that would be why that didn't happen. Um, but I mean, if you look, OGA obviously was the main driver, um, but all the way through 2013, 14, 15, 16, is OGA winning for the drivers they won the co-drivers championship of course um and the manufacturers championship 
Uh, let's see, in fact, Rally Victories 2013. Let's just have a quick look at the calendar. When was the first? Oh, so they actually won their second event. That's that's a bit, that's pretty good. Cause, I mean, as you say, Sam, it was it, it just burst onto the scene. It sort of it's just the the Volkswagen family in general sort of had Skoda beforehand in the the lower tier, and then they brought in the Polo, and that Polo was dominant in rallying. I'm pretty certain it, it did pretty well in the Rallycross as well, which obviously is not quite the same car, but it's it has the same DNA. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the only reason that Volkswagen stopped winning was because they didn't get because they pulled out. Yeah, <laughs> they, stopped, yeah. they stopped doing it um, for no real reason other than that the rules. I think the rules are changing, weren't they, in 2016, and we got those sort of mad rally monster things that we've got now. Well, um, Volkswagen did actually develop a car for that. I think it was a casualty of um, the diesel scandal, unfortunately. Think, it was yeah, a casualty of the diesel scandal. There's a lot of politics going on board, and uh, the miss... chairman of uh, Volkswagen as well said that uh, they weren't really committing to combustion engine uh, motorsports in the future. I, I think uh, the Polo was one of the first casualties. Am I wrong in thinking that they also, like, flew The R18 was possibly a casualty of that as well, wasn't oh, it? Of course it was. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm, am I also right in thinking that they also, like, didn't get their uh, application in on time just due to the background politics? And that's why the WRC went, well, no, we don't need you. Um, and, it, yeah, it, it, I remember it all blew up in everyone's face and everyone, everyone was cross about it, like... In Volkswagen, in the fans, in the drivers, that they they all sort of like went. Well, this is ridiculous, and they. Were... I don't remember. I'll be honest. I, I remember it being a massive issue, like across autosport for a couple of weeks. It was it was discussing you know the whole Dieselgate scandal and how this is all like ruining motorsport. And, and yeah, the Polo was definitely a a major casualty. Not as not as headlining as Porsche and Audi were in Le Mans, but equally as as big in many ways. Yeah, yeah. I just think it was a really, really good car generally. Um, and the stats kind of back back it up as oh. being one of the best race cars of the decade. Um, one of the certainly one of the most successful, if not the best. Um, I mean, that percentage just nearly ninety percent of their rallies they won. Wow. I mean, yeah, 43 as, out of 52. As Al says, whenever we talk about WRC, that's just incredible just from a consistency standpoint. You know, yeah. WRC is incredibly hard to finish an event, let, let alone win it and win it over and over and over again, as, as that car did. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Ogier particularly dominant. I think his teammate only got one or two wins a season. But. It just tops it off, really, the fact that it was 52 out of 40, well, 43 out of 52. Yeah. Uh, and over the four years, that it didn't lose a title. Yeah, incredible result. Um, so that's that one. Congratulations to Volkswagen. And a third award is going to go to the Volkswagen Audi company for race cars. <laughs> Alistair Walker, you have, a again, a, slight, a completely different series to talk about here. Yeah, so I've got the 2014... Sayat Leon Euro Cup. Interesting. Which it's a it's a long story. This one, so crack on out. Yeah. So this is a bit similar to Monty with the Ford Fiesta Eco Boost. The reason I chose the Sayat Leon isn't a hundred percent about the car itself. It's what it started. So the 2014 Sayat Leon ended up becoming the blueprint for the TCR category. Which, for those who don't know, is slowly taking over the world of touring car racing. Not slowly, it has. <laughs> it's, it's kind of just done that already, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, but there's a couple of touring cars yet. Struggled. Hasn't done British touring car. Hasn't done DCM. They've out yet. They're not got same. a TCR UK series though. Yes, they yep. do. They just try and avoid clashing dates with the BTCC because they want to act. Sort of as a stepping stone towards it, because they know they can't rival the BTCC. Yeah. But since it's brought it in, it's even taken over the World Championship as well. Yeah. And yeah. the car that kicked this off was the Leon. And I can tell you, they're fucking loud. <laughs> <laughs> Good input, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. That's the uh, engineering term, yes? It is, yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. we're going oh, yeah. old engineering, I think it's bloody loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are really, really nice cars. I mean, we were when we did that brick car race with, with uh, TDF, of skyrocketed since then as well uh, for different reasons. Um, that was a TCR layout, wasn't it? But an endurance spec one. Yeah, so they most companies will do endurance spec cars and sprint spec cars. And the Leon not only acts as the blueprint, it has been a successful car in the championship. It's been, I would struggle to think of a TCR series running anywhere in the world that doesn't have at least a couple of the Leons on the grid. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if I may... No, they've got a couple of Leon Cupra's yeah, they've rebranded since then, but it is the it's same the car underneath, it is, realistically. Yeah, right, yeah. And if I may extend it a bit, it's also helping TCR and their whole formula and touring car racing in general prepare for the electric future we know is coming. Yeah. It was not TCR. only Yeah, it was not only the first car to make the TCR mould, it's the first to be built as an eTCR prototype. And I think what it's done is... the Veloster was. No, the Veloster's petrol. I'm sure they did an electric version. They're, Sorry. They're going they to. might be doing an electric, they're but that one, Hyundai developed it specifically for the American market. Yeah, so the Veloster's got a, a, a TCR and an eTCR coming, but the, the Seat was first in both regards. Without yeah. doubt. And has been a solid performer in both. Yeah. Well, yeah. in TCR, ETCR hasn't launched yet, apart from, I think, a couple of tests, maybe. Exactly, yeah. But no, I mean, I, the, the, I think, as we've said before with a couple of these cars, they it, they did, it's the way they came onto the scene, the effect they had afterwards. Um, you know, the TCR, you know, I liked the old World Touring Car Championship rules. Um, lots of people didn't because Citroen just blew everyone out of the water. Um and there's no doubt at all that that TCR now is more competitive and generally better than the world touring cars were, um, and it's I think it's a lot cheaper as well. If such correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it was a big part of the formula was to make the racing more affordable. I know that's a relative term, sure, but I think it speaks for itself the fact you have multiple national series running them you have people running them in endurance championships as we say we helped with one at the brick car in what was that 2016 yeah i think so 2016 um and then we also saw one at bennington this year didn't we yep so in private completely privateer hands at that point yeah yeah so again it's a very versatile car it's, it's a car that anyone realistically can get and take racing as they want yeah, and I think that's something great is done for the world of touring car racing. It's, I think, really boosted its chances of survival, especially, I think electrification is going to be a difficult phase for motorsport. And I think cars like the Leon and the formats it's brought are going to make that easier to survive. That's, that's very fair. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Good. Of the cost, the level of cost being that bit less that you haven't got to develop a full car, you can base it off of the TCR rules, and you've got those control components. You've just got to make it fit under your body, and I think that works very well um, as a global formula. It works. Speaking of control components, we're now gonna, now they take the last two awards away from Volkswagen Audi, Chris. Yes. You have another very left of field choice. It's not left of field. It is. A, this car it's a very is, electrifying choice. This car oh, is, a, is, is a year I'll, old. I'll that one. This car is a year old, and you've picked it for car of the decade. Yes, because right. of what it stands for. Right, the Spark SRT 05E Formula E Gen 2 car. Chris, take it away. You picked a Formula oh, E car. Sorry? You picked a Formula E car. I, I, did, yeah. I, I, I Come at me. Come at me, bro. <laughs> um, okay. well, the, the reason I didn't pick the Gen 1 car 
it's because the Gen 1 car had its... Flaws is the wrong word, but it had its identity issues. In the, <laughs> it hadn't it forever quite... be remembered as the car that could not last a full race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't quite... It was finished, don't get me wrong, it was finished. It was a complete car, but it, it did lack... Everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> Whereas the Gen 2 car sort of took what the German car didn't have, uh, and then actually made it. And for me, I think the Gen 2 car, it looks stunning. We see uh, I, I love the look of it. It looks fast even while standing still, which is always a good um, a good look for a race car. Yeah. I mean, it looks like the Batmobile, so tell me something that doesn't look cool when it's a Batmobile. <laughs> um, it is a very cool-looking car, I have to say. Aesthetically, it's good. Well, we saw it. Exactly, yeah. And it, it, to me, it's like a... Like, it's a similar sort of line of thought as the Tesla. It's the starting point of something. It's, you know, annoyingly, as a not spot fan, you know in 20 years' time, that's the way Motorsport has to go. To survive in this current climate, in the current way the world is developing, that is the way that the Motorsport has to go. And to me, this is its inception to single-seater electric racing that will become the the number one top motorsport in the world, potentially. You know, you never know, it could become, endurance racing might become the number one top motorsport in the world. Okay. But for now, that's the way that you will see Formula One heading, you'll see single-seater racing in junior categories heading, just because that's the only way it can be a sustainable sport that lines up with the politics and the environmental issues of the world. And it does a pretty good job. Granted, the racing isn't on full tracks it's in city tracks but that brings it closer to the people who might not necessarily be that bothered about going to a racetrack see, that's... they might be thinking oh well it's happening in london so we'll just go to london that's not a problem with the car though that's the problem with the series which is a wider t- a wider issue hey don't talk to me no, about series it, it, it's, it's <laughs> partly a problem about the car because the car's not quick enough to go on the full uh, size circuits yet and uh, i think it's exactly. still a, a valid problem with the car i'm very happy to see that uh, for the most part of it, these cars can actually do a full race on like their predecessors. And uh, I was actually at the Berlin E-Prix uh, this year, and so that was my first time getting to uh, see these cars up live. And um, what was it like? Um, as an event, it's good fun. As an event, it's it was great to see the racing. I love the technology involved in it. I still think they need to be quicker. And oh, yeah, they need well. to be quicker to really uh, exaggerate that element of speed because the speed they can carry through a corner is amazing, but it still takes them so long to get up to top speed that when you watch them go down a straight, that felt a bit underwhelming. Actually, the biggest issue I had with the, with the whole thing was, is, it comes down to this old adage, it's the lack of noise. And instead yeah. of having this most sports event with the, the engine screaming by, you're watching these cars whiz by and the organizers have gone and put on techno and uh, dubstep music in the background uh, so it's almost like being in a fairground and you listen to a dodgem car whiz past <laughs> you by really quickly which was a shame because the car itself was great to watch uh, particularly in action the racing was close and I, I was really impressed with how they can actually corner uh, i completely agree with everything you say it is essentially setting what the future has to look like because whether we like it or not, we are heading down the electric route. I think it's each iteration of this car is a step in the right direction. But I would love to see ultimately these cars be quick enough that we can actually go to Silverstone or Donington Park or a proper circuit without there being a uh, chicane in the way. Hmm. Mm. Now, you mentioned the noise, but if, and humor me on this one, if you go back to the spaceship era hyper um, endurance race cars. So you're looking at Audi, Porsche, Toyota, and the Nissan, the one we went to. The Nissan. Yeah, you take out all the Corvettes, you take out all the GC3 cars, you take out the LMP2 cars, and you just have those LMP1 cars, you tell me they're loud. The Toyota was? You can't. The Toyota was? Toyota genuinely was. The Audi, the Toyota, Toyota, was... Yeah. If you look at the Audi, 
you look at the Porsche and you look at the yeah, I made him this and this one was a little bit low. The Nissan was because it was in the garage. I was just saying, the Nissan was broken, that's why it was quiet. Yeah. They were quiet vehicles. You know, you you wouldn't notice the Audi going by if you weren't looking at the track at the time. Yeah, no, it's it's a fair argument. Um, and definitely with every iteration of cars now, but they're much quieter, particularly because we've got forced induction, so that muffles uh, a lot of the noise. Uh, I, I remember a couple of years ago when I was doing Formula Student. Uh, in 2013, it was still the V8 era. And, uh, you know, the first day we're setting up things for Formula Students, it's a test day for F1 at Silverstone. And the noise it made was amazing. The year afterwards, um, first day of Formula Students again, we were setting up everything, 2014. And um, I decided to go for a walk around the track because just to see what Silverstone was like. And this guy, uh, one of the guards comes screaming at me and he's saying, Roy, you can't go down there. Like, oh, whoa, what's going on? He went, there's an F1 test on, can't you hear? No, no, I can't. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's still going to be the valid issue uh, going forward is uh, for a lot of people, motorsports it's about the noise. Some noise is better than no noise, but when they're having to replace the racing noise with background music and techno music, to me that was yeah, it just felt like being in a carnival or uh, a theme park. Sure. Do you think it would almost be better if they just didn't bother with the music? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. The fact the cars are quiet and didn't yeah, try and hide. Except the fact that they're quiet and actually uh, starts. Uh, you know the noises which they do produce, which is still a high-pitched whirring noise, which does actually sound quite nice. And most importantly, tires squealing. Everyone loves to hear tires squeal because you go, "Oh, someone's about to spin." We need to move on. <laughs> <laughs> the, Sorry, the Shulz one next. Yes, the actual, uh, the course. actual car of the decade. In Full your uh, incorrect opinion. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is the best car ever. Right. The final car in this list list of uh, vehicles so far is the Dallara DW12 IndyCar, the 2012 to current generation IndyCar, which has won everything in its path because it's the only car racing. So essentially, what uh, what Monty did earlier was choose an engine for car of the decade, <laughs> and Sean has chosen a chassis. I mean, in my defence, <laughs> I chose the platform, so... Yeah. <laughs> Arguably, yeah. And I mean, I was really sorry, the other ones actually picked car of the year. Yeah. No, Chris, you, exactly. picked, you picked an idea. You didn't no, pick, I didn't. You picked yeah, a car. Yeah, I picked a physical origin. You picked a concept. <laughs> anyway, the Delarge W12, IndyCar's car, car of, the, of the decade, because it's been brilliant. It's a car which was brought in to improve, vastly improve the safety, um, it's had three generations of which have tried their best to bring IndyCar back to the, the, its pinnacle it had back in the 90s and beforehand. Uh, it's an incredibly versatile machine taking on multiple iterations of development, uh, including the, the, the every single year having at least two versions of its aero kits on the car for both ovals and road courses. It's, it just is it's one of the most versatile car, single seaters at least. It probably is the most versatile single seater in the world. And how can it be versatile when it's only used in one series and only used in two different types of track? It's not. That's not two different types of track. Track, Chris. A street circuit is completely different from an oval, which is completely different from a, high, a super speedway, which is completely different from a, from a proper track road course. They, it's, it's. While the series has that much um, variance from rallying. Rallying. Rally? Rally is not a, a circuit-based sport, is it? That's why I said a single seater. Yeah, for circuit racing, I will back Sean up on this. Thank the, you, <laughs> The variance in how you set a car up and how it needs to work on an oval, on a road course, on a street circuit is quite a big difference. And even different natures of oval, although I don't know if um, it would really NASCAR? go to any of the small ones. NASCAR's, no, it's not. It's right. It's yeah, they also don't run street circuits with NASCAR. Yeah. That and, oh. Oh, yeah. they, they don't, don't really courses, do but... so they don't run that many road courses either really no and they're a bit of a brick when it's on a road course they're great fun to watch but it's a bit of a brick on a road anyway, course the... they're entertaining but not good anyway the Delara <laughs> that makes sense. so the Delara has been my, my car for a few reasons number one it has provided some of the best racing in single season motorsport full stop 
Um, it's especially with the current gen platform, which me and Chris and Sam have all watched before. Um, yeah. It's it, it's very the car's hard, difficult to drive. The driver is still in control of the car rather than the control the car choosing where it's going to go and the driver having to change millions of switches to make it do its thing properly like an F1. It's a car which is just it, you have to get the setup right, but if you do, you then have to drive it properly. And the driver is still the most important part of the package, rather than the, rather than the electronics, rather than some magical engine co um, component. Although that said, the Chevy is better than the Honda sometimes, but in recent times that's not been the case. The Dallara has it, it can do the super speedway, averaging 230 miles an hour around in, around Indi Indianapolis. That's an absolutely incredible speed for any car to, to do, and it's it, and especially with the current error regulations where they've been allowed to race closer and if there is a crash they've been they've generally speaking been able to have a driver walk away there was one death due, due to a, a head injury but that that's not so much the car's fault as it was the general single seaters the danger of motorsport the fact that is, was a freak accident it was and that's the point the, the, the car has been shown that it's, it's just able to race and able to crash it's it's helped improve safety it's helped improve performance it's helped improve the visual spectacle of motorsport which is what i think is important in this series and it sounds great as well i'd agree with that uh one little bit of research I, when i was doing on the indycar chassis um the the dw in the name do you, do you know what that stands for it stands for dan weldon the it does uh, it's for, for the british driver champion actually who died in the last race of the previous gen chassis and I really like that. That's a little, nice little touch, I think. Yeah, it's... Um, but, uh, yeah, I, IndyCar, I've watched this season, and it's the first season I've watched, and I have been very, very impressed by it. And a lot of that does come down to the cars are, for the most part, identical, so you can race closer. They're designed to not have stupid amounts of downforce, so you can't follow, but they've got more than enough downforce to mean that they are very, very quick. Yeah. Haven't they utilised ground effects on that car? No, uh, uh, not really. It's it's, it's a very um, it's a very grey area. They 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 keep changing how the how the cars work. But the fact is, it's IndyCar. They have got some ground effect, but it's it's they they don't have it. So it's got tons and tons of downforce on it. It's 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 a it's a mix. It, they they like to keep the car able to uh, step out when when the driver tells it to. But um, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's but it's nice. When you look at um, how many rookies have won races this year, I think that shows you um, how close the cars are. That you wouldn't get a rookie winning in Formula One at the moment, realistically. Let's face it. No. Max Verstappen won in his first time out in Red Bull. No, because he did. In his it. first time in Red Bull. Yeah, in the top car. That was in a top car. Whereas all the cars are the same in IndyCar, so if you are a good enough driver, you can win the race. As Colton Herta did this year. Twice. Yeah, Herta winning this year was a nice surprise, actually. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah. But the fact is, it's also a lot cheaper. This last last point, it's also been very good for the IndyCar's cost, which meant that less, less teams have gone bankrupt. Um, it would be nice if they had another engine supplier. The Lotus one didn't work out, sadly. But it's... It, I've, it's, again, it's been able to allow the sport to grow, and it's been a, a decent landing ground for drivers if they haven't been able to make it an F1, for example. And that's that. And it's it's more motorsport, and it's and it's actually good and exciting. And that's 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 all I'm going to say. I'd actually say it's different enough from F1 that it's a different route. Mm. That although you do get that crossover a certain amount with like Marcus Ericsson and there's always been a few that have gone backwards and forwards or whatever way it was, I think that because the versatility of the whole series of street circuits, road courses, short in inverted commas, short ovals and super speedways, um, that there's enough of that difference that actually to be good over the course of a whole season requires you to be. A very versatile driver. Yeah, that's wasn't it. it Barrichello who went over to IndyCar and bailed out on the oval circuits? He was he was there briefly, but anyway, that's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> the point is that's the end of the the show. Thank you very oh. much for listening, everybody. They, those are our cars of the decade, both road car and motorsport. Um, thank you very much to everyone for joining me. 
Yeah, that's you lot. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me back. Yeah, Monty, we'll, we'll get some more lined up for you, actually. How long are you back in the country for? I'm back for an indefinite period now, my friend, Good. so uh, keep me updated. It'd be nice to do a few more of these and uh, give a few more of my outspoken and inappropriate humour and that's, share it with the world. That's, that's what we asked for. What were they? Oh, <laughs> oh, fantastic. Good. Um, Al, I'll see you next week. <laughs> the rest of you, um, yeah, everyone, thanks very much for listening. Thank you very much for the, the whole, whole year. We'll probably have another one before Christmas or not Christmas, the um, end of the year, but we'll see. Um, take care and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.